Welcome to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Podcast in Scottsdale, Arizona. We are Christian Disciples in Mission. We have a fabulous speaker this morning, Todd Bankafir. Uh, Todd serves uh, as CEO of AudioEye. This is super cool. Todd took me on a little uh, tour of what AudioEye does. It's a uh, public software company um, that makes web, uh, websites accessible. Accessible to people with uh, maybe sight disabilities or even, there's such thing as dyslexia font. I had no idea that people who have a hard time reading a web page is totally customizable. So it's one of those things where we use the gifts that God has given us for the, for the greater good, and that's what Todd works on. Um, he is actively involved in the community uh, at a church here in Scottsdale that I've heard of, St. Patrick. And his main love is his family, his wife Kimberly, and their three children, Kylie, Scooter, and Bailey. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Todd Bankerfer. All right. Thank you, Brian. Can you hear me? All right. It's a pleasure to be here. I want to know where Kevin is, so that's my first question. Here's the guy that asked me to come and do this, and he's not even here. So I kind of want you guys to give him a little bit of a hard time about that, because he deserves it. <clears throat> I look out across this crowd, and I just see so many, so many just friendly, caring faces that I've come to know as uh, part of the St. Patrick's community. So it's really a pleasure for me to be here and to be able to talk to you about something that I haven't spent a lot of time in my life talking about. Um, people, the, the men that are in my men's prayer group, I want you guys to stand up real quick because they're the comforters of my life right now, these gentlemen right here. <clears throat> we talk a lot about in my men's prayer group about faith and obviously the, the sorrows that we've all had throughout our lives. <clears throat> um, and I've shared them with mine with them. And I think it's where Greg Michalowski came up with the idea of having me tell Kevin that I should come and, come and share them with you. And I had a little apprehension, but I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. So here goes a story that I haven't told in too many places, but uh, I look forward to the opportunity to, to share it with you, my brothers in Christ. I've really appreciated Father Eric's taking us down this journey of the, the uh, Beatitudes. I think if we, as we've learned and we've broken down each one of these Beatitudes, we've found out that we can do better. We as men in this society can do better. And I think we know that. <clears throat> I think Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, believed strongly that these Beatitudes were our tr true pathway to happiness, along with the Ten Commandments. And so as we look at each one of these, and we're just going to break down two of them today, but it's really about being there for other people, as we talked about, Father Eric talked about just in, in this homily this morning. We need to remember those that are in need. You know what I need? Yeah, Brian, I need a clicker. Or we're not going to slide two. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Pope Francis tells us we need to build up society in the light of the Beatitudes, walking towards the kingdom of heaven with the least among us. The least. 
Think about who the least are, those that are sick, those that are <clears throat> abused, those that are disabled, those that are sometimes forgotten, those that are lost loved ones, those that have lost a spouse, those that are going through divorce. We all suffer from those. But it's remembering them along the way, to be there in, as a comforter. Pope Francis believes strongly that we need to go against the flow. Against the flow, he says. I think about New York streets when I think about against the flow and just walking down the sidewalk and just thousands of people coming at you at the same time. But when you get to acknowledge one of them and say hi or hope your day's good or help them along, that's what Pope Francis is talking about. The homeless person sitting on the side of the street. This is what the Beatitudes are speaking to us about. So I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey. <clears throat> but this is my family. And as we know, Beatitudes translates to blessing. And this is my blessing. It's my wife, Kimberly, my daughter, Kylie, my daughter, Bailey. My son Scooter is actually here today. This is my joy. This is where my life has come to, and this is the joy that I realize today in every beautiful way. I get the opportunity to run a software company, but the joy in that is a lot different than the joy that I get from my family. So, where did it start? Yes? I grew up on a ranch in Reno, Nevada, about 100 acres. This is my family sitting on what is called a bull riding arena. My brother on the right was a junior champion rodeo <clears throat> bull rider. It's my dad, my mom, my little sister, and myself. My older sister tells me that she was out of town this day, so I do have one other older sister that missed this picture, but she uh, is the oldest of our, our all. This was how I grew up. Didn't know anything different other than to wear cowboy boots every day of the week, to get up at five o'clock in the morning and go out and feed hundreds of cattle that stare at you and just pray for as much hate as possible. This is how Todd Bankafier grew up in Reno, Nevada. There we are standing out on the front uh, lawn of our 100-acre ranch. The fingers in the pockets. That's attitude. <laughs> I had a strong work ethic. I got up every morning without an alarm clock, and I was out there feeding animals. Scooter gets so tired of me talking about this, but we did more before 8 o'clock in the morning in those days than these kids do probably in a month. <clears throat> Sorry, Scooter. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> I have to tell you that it was a unique way of life, but as I said, I knew nothing different. It brought me great work ethic, it brought me great strength, but heck did if I ever imagined I was going to be in Scottsdale, Arizona as the CEO of a software company. Never was on the, never was on the, uh, there I am at two years old, they put us on the horse pretty much day one at the ranch. 
So we had to learn how to ride early on, and there I was. So I thought I would call this story a kid from Reno, Nevada, so you can follow along with me. How many of you believe that God has a plan for each and every one of us? Amen, brothers. Amen. This verse from Jeremiah, obviously, right out of the Bible, tells it very, very well. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Stated by our Lord. We believe in the word of God. We proclaim the word of God. Jeremiah tells it right there. <clears throat> Who's this? Well, this is my grandfather on my mom's side. He's probably only like 32 years old right there, but I thought I would put it up there because I think he looks a little bit like Scooter. And so I just thought I'd show you a, a picture of his great-grandfather at about 32 years old. But here he is holding myself and my little sister out on the ranch. He lived with us. He lived till he was 72 years old. He, he contracted uh, prostate cancer and died about six months after that. He was the, a lot of the joy in my life because he would be the first person that would greet me every morning as I got out of bed. He got up earlier than I did. He would make the big jumbo breakfasts for us after we came in after doing the, the, the chores. And he was just so kind-hearted. Just a man of just sort of the first eight years of my life. I loved having him a, a big part of our life. But he died when I was eight years old. The first real death in my life, except for, of course, I came to know death pretty well as it relates to animals, because our cows sometimes would, would die, our horses occasionally would die, sheep, pigs, all of those things. So I saw the cycle of life in an early, early stage of my life, but I didn't make the connection to humans. And when my grandfather passed away, it was a lot different, and I noticed it. Who is this? Well, there I am at the bottom of that screen peeking over the top, my brother next to me, my dad and my grandfather, who just happened to be the mayor of Reno at the time, and was for 10 years. This was my fortress. These were the male role models in my life. These men meant everything to me. They were there through thick and thin. But life was about to change. One October morning, my dad and my brother and two men set out on a deer hunting trip up into the Sierra Nevadas. They got on their horses and left the ranch early morning before dusk, I mean before sunlight, traversing up through a canyon. And on the other side of the canyon, there was a gentleman who thought they were actually deer across the canyon. It was still not light enough for him to be shooting, but he did. Shot through the dark. The bullet landed in the side of my dad's head, and my dad was killed instantly. My brother on the horseback or on horse right next to him, obviously witnessed something very, very tragic. But this is a day that will live with me forever because I'll never forget it. At 10 years old, I have it emblazoned in my mind like pretty much nothing else. They came back to the ranch. Came, my brother came running in the house, screaming hysterically, crying. He tells my mom. My mom drops to the floor. She's hysterical. My sister comes down the stairs. She hears the news, she drops to the floor, she's hysterical, and my oldest sister comes out of the restroom and she hears, and she immediately drops to the floor. And there is all of us 
on the floor of our kitchen, realizing that we no longer have our father and my wife and my mom, a husband. Hugely dramatic day in my life, in our life, of our, of our family. But it, the news gets better, I promise. Not right away, but I left that part of my life 40-something years ago, and I'll, I'll bring that story back here in a minute as it relates to the death of my father. My grandfather, who was the mayor of Reno four years later, died of colon cancer. He had been my new male role model in my life. He had, he had come, he'd come to all my you know, sports activities. He would spend the time with me in lieu of my father. He would help my brother and out, my sisters, and my, of course my mom. He was just there for us. So when he contracted colon cancer, me going to the hospital, going into town to see him as he was dying, it just was something that weighed heavy on my mind to think that this gentleman who was... I saw as everything to me at 14 years old was no longer going to be with us. I didn't know at the time, but my grandmother, I'm, I knew at the time, but I didn't know exactly, but had my grandfather not met my grandmother who was actually in a convent at the time when they were first married, I wouldn't be standing here either. So God truly does have a plan because my grandfather pulled my grandmother out of the convent, married her, obviously had my father, obviously then it passed on to us. God has a plan. That's the primary reason for my speech today. I bring now, the two gentlemen on the right are no longer with me. My fortress, remember? My fortress. My brother and I... <clears throat> would take on all the chores at the, at the ranch. However, I remember always grabbing my sisters as much as I could to get them out there to help us, and they did. But it was always, I needed, we needed as much help as possible. And it really forced us to really think about whether or not ranching was gonna be in our future or not because we were no longer had the real, real the male models. Because my brother and I and my dad would go on rodeos every weekend and. That stopped pretty much we're sh just, just taking care of this 100-acre ranch, my brother and I and my sisters and my mom. My brother, as I said, had a very emotional, tough time with the death of my father, obviously sitting on the horse next to him during that, that day, in the, that morning in the canyon. Just traumatic to him. So his life took on a different era, a different air, in the sense of he believed that every day was his last day. He just had this... I don't remember you remember the show, Run for Your Life, early, long time ago, but the gentleman who knew he only had a year left and he tried to do everything he possibly could do in a matter of a year. It's my brother's mentality. I just remember it strongly, and I just, I, because he was really the male model in my life, but I still struggled with the fact that he was just so death-defying. Took up hang gliding, scuba diving, skydiving, barefoot water skiing. He was already a bull rider, so he already knew what it was, uh, death defying was like and he took up hang gliding as a sport and every day he'd just be like yep today I'm going out and do this, this and he was a senior in college he just had one sort of 
death-defying idea one after another. Well, one October morning, my brother decided to, to fly his hang glider off the top of the tallest mountain in Nevada. It was his ultimate goal. About a, a minute and a half into his flight, a, st- a strong downdraft, and that's what happens in hang gliding a lot, a lot of deaths. Strong, strong downdraft of wind just drove him right into the side of the mountain. He was killed instantly at 22 years old. This was a day when I really sort of got mad, finally. My brother was my last vestige of male role model in my life. And for him to be gone was just devastating to me. And I thought to myself, how do I move forward? And I got mad. Um, and I was just mad at him for a long time, going to his funeral and just being really mad. Just like, how did you do this to me? Why did you do this to me? He was a great guy. We named our, our son after him. Just a wonderful, heartfelt man. But just felt like he never was the same after he watched his dad get killed on that horse that day in the canyon. So at 17, I'm now no male models in my life. And this beatitude spoke to me so much, and I think that's why Kevin and Mike and Greg felt that this was important, since we were talking about this beatitude, is to know that when you're mourning, there are those of you that are actually becoming comforters. And so when I lost my my dad, I had my grandfather. When I lost my brother, I had my mom. There was always a comforter in my life. And that is what we learn from this beatitude. There's people in this room who have lost loved ones. There's people in this room that have lost spouses, children. We now have a nine-year-old daughter that's going to go through a very tough time today, burying the nine-year-old daughter. We all have suffered this loss in some way, shape, or form. It's how we as gentlemen and and brothers in Christ and servants of our Lord treat those and understand that loss has a huge impact on our lives. And I just love this beatitude from the standpoint of it being a blessing that you can convey comfort and you can receive comfort when you need it. And this is what Jesus was trying to convey to us through this beatitude. Out on the ranch, it was pretty much the the old adage, when you get knocked off the horse, you just get right back up on it. That's what they would tell me. I remember that all the time. It's how you build courage, right? Well, I'd been knocked down quite a few times, and I was trying to wonder whether or not it was worth getting back up on the horse, but I continued to do it, and I'm grateful for that strength that I had from the individuals that would tell me that. But that was truly what it was. It was iron sharpens iron out on the branch. And it was a mentality that you just didn't get down. You had the ability to just buck up, get back on the horse, and move on. But my mom at this point was really desperate for for a change. And she knew that I could, should not and could not stay in Reno, Nevada. I, there was just too much pain in that, in that city. So I was a senior in high school, and she 
definitely go away to college. College, that was something I wasn't sure whether I'd ever do or not, but she helped me put in applications. I applied to schools in California, and I only applied to one school in the state of Arizona, and it was Arizona State University. Where's all my U of A friends out there? <laughs> Came to ASU, had my boots on and everything. I think I brought my hats as well, but that, that was me in, in, in college, believe it or not. Four years of just completely a different lifestyle. You can imagine growing up on a ranch and then boom, I'm in Tempe, Arizona, as you know so well. The, the, the nightlife, the daylife, and the eye candy was pretty nice here in, in, in Tempe, Arizona. And I thought I'd found heaven on earth. And I had a great time. At, uh, for my four years at Arizona State University. I'm so grateful for my mom, because she could have been very selfish because she would, had lost her father, she had lost her husband, she had lost her son. To let me go was really who my mom was really all about. And so that's how I got to, to Arizona. And remember, that one errant bullet across that canyon, or else... If it missed my father by one inch or one foot, would not have come to Arizona State University. I'd still be in ranching today, and I guarantee it. My grandmother, in the whole scheme of things, was probably the Catholic matriarch of our, of our family. She preached to us more about, this is the one that came out of the convent. This is the one who preached to us more about Catholicism than anybody else, and I really appreciated it because I really as we all know, those early days, struggle to sort of understand it. But she really made me stay attached to it. And as I, during Arizona State University, I'd go to the Newman Center on Sunday or Mount Carmel down there in Tempe. I spent time in church. And she always would call me and make sure, did you go to church this Sunday? Go to church this Sunday? I just remember my grandmother saying that to me all the time. But she was just great about making me stay close to the Lord. Comforter. Remember Comforter? She was a comforter. This was my other comforter. This is my mom. Probably the greatest human being I've ever met in my entire life. Inspiration to me my, forever. This is me, probably around 27, 28 years old. Uh, she had moved out of Reno as well and moved to California, to San Francisco. She got remarried and started a new life as well. But the pain still was very much a part of our life with our sisters and myself. Um, <clears throat> instilled in me just something that uh, I've never forgotten that she's always would say to me, just follow Jesus. Just follow Jesus. Trust him. Trust him. Those words just emblazoned in my mind from my mom. Comfort her. So I pressed on, and recognizing that life uh, had still one more, one more uh, incident for me. My mom contracted brain cancer at 56, and she again was living in San Francisco, and I'd spend time coming up from Arizona uh, and spending time with her. And I remember laying by her bedside and her talking to me about the, the Lord and how it had just 
how she could not have made it through all the, the tragedies in her life if she didn't have a relationship with her Lord. And just as ingrained in my mind, it is part of who I am because of my mom and because of my grandmother. I'm so grateful to her for that, but she'd always say, just trust in him and trust in him. I wish I would have had this verse emblazoned on everything I had in my life at that time because it would have given me a little bit more hope as well. The pain that you've been, that you've been feeling can't compare to the joy that's coming. All of you that have gone through something traumatic, if we can just remember that our Lord Jesus Christ is going to make it better. I never thought that a few times. I can tell you, there, was, there were moments when I thought, this is, this is not a great journey. Romans 8 is imprinted in my mind forever. Because I, for those of you out there that are suffering through something really difficult right now, please know, please know that joy is on its way. It may take time. It took me a long time. But I remember this day in my life, probably more than ever, I married the most amazing human being in my life I've ever, ever, ever met. It's my wife, Kimberly. <clears throat> We've been married for 26 years. She, a woman who loves Jesus Christ, she's the most selfless human being in the world. And I just love her to death. And it's because of that joy was coming. It came. And then these three, Scooter, Kylie, and Bailey. If you look at Scooter over there on the right-hand side and you remember my stance out on the front of the front lawn on the ranch like this, this is the ranch look. That's the Scottsdale swanky look right there. <laughs> Sorry, Scooter. <laughs> Someday maybe you'll be up here giving a speech and you can show that picture and show them the Scottsdale swing. But that's so true. There they are as they grow up. My joy. My joy. And as a part of that, I got another comforter in my life, and it's my father-in-law, Howard Kime, who's here in the front row. I've had him in my life for now for 27 years. I'll never forget the day that it, I asked him if I could marry his daughter. We went out on a horseback ride, if you can believe that or not. And we were riding next to each other up in Carefree, and I turned to him, I go, Mr. Kime, would it be all right if I ask your permission to marry your daughter? And he looks at me from his horse, he says, it's about damn time. <laughs> Thank you, Pops, for all the comfort you've given me the last 27 years. I love you. Our family continues to grow. We did a lot of great things. We've had a you know, beautiful life, and it's the joy of my life. And I just continue to tell you, this is where the joy came. After all those deaths in our, in our family's life, the beauty of being able to find this family. 
and, and, and create this family and, and be with this family. There's one other person that I need to, 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 to call out as well is I would not have met my wife if it wasn't for Jim Bruner and his wife, Sandy. Jim, please stand up. I, I had the opportunity of working for this gentleman for five years as his chief of staff at the County Board of Supervisors. This is a man of great mercy, servant leader to the, to the core. And I was so fortunate to have a comforter in my life. Thank you, Jim. I love you. All right, so things deviated a little bit at the uh, Bank of your household. We had a little struggle in deciding on which college everybody was going to go to. <laughs> this is... This is an interesting thing we got going on because I married a wildcat. And then two of my kids decided to go to the University of Arizona. I finally had one, the last one there sitting daily, decided to go to the Arizona State University. So we have a house divided, but it's a good house divided. We have fun with it. We have some uh, interesting times when the football game's going as well as the basketball games, but we, we find ourselves enjoying our lives uh, in, as a house divided. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Four years ago, I decided I wanted to find the gentleman who had shot my father and forgive him. So I didn't know exactly where to start, but I tracked down some basic locations and found out he was in California and then I got my brother-in-law involved who was in law enforcement and he tracked down his address and his phone number and I mustered up the courage to call him <clears throat> and I said Warren this is Todd Bankafir and there was at least a two to three minute pause on the other end of the phone and I kept saying Warren Warren he finally answered, and he said, uh, I never thought I'd hear that name again. It had been over 40 years. But I told him that I wanted to come see him. I wanted to meet him in person. I wanted to show some mercy. So, Scooter and I, my sister and brother-in-law and their son all went up to Northern California and we spent about four or five hours in an embassy suites and we spent the time talking about our lives talking about where things went after the incident uh, he had been charged with involuntary manslaughter and had spent a little time in jail but um, he um, told me something I'll never forget and that he had never gone a day in his life that he hadn't thought about the, that day in the canyon. And I thought about that and I thought, you know, I thought about my dad's death every once in a while but it wasn't every day. And I felt like I wished I would have gotten to this gentleman earlier. But it was so amazing to be able to look across the table and say to him, Warren, I forgive you. I have no ill will towards you. I have great joy in my life. And he, Scooter knows, we all sort of broke down and cried. And my sister forgave him as well. 
at that moment in the table, at the table, the Holy Spirit came into the room, made me realize something that I had never really thought about much. It's God telling me that there was a reason for that bullet to hit my father. And that is because I would have this young man right here in my life. Because if that bullet misses my father by one inch or one foot, I'm not standing here. He's not here. I'm my father-in-law. I don't have my comforters. I don't have my men's prayer group. I'm somewhere else in my life. God has a plan for each of us. I can't imagine my life without my son and my daughters and my wife. So I said to him, Warren, I don't know how to say this other than this is very awkward. But I thank you for that morning in the canyon because you've brought great joy to my life. God is great. God is beautiful. God does amazing things, but for me to have to say thank you to who had shot my dad, that's mercy. That's the ultimate mercy. We got to learn to forgive, gentlemen. Maybe every day we're faced with it. So powerful in its capability. So, so very capable. I remember when he said to me, there wasn't a day that didn't go by, he warned, telling me that there wasn't a day that didn't go by, he didn't think about the fact that he had shot before dawn across a canyon thinking it was deer. And I felt bad for him because he had spent his whole entire life with that guilt. So forgive. This is where we started. It's a picture right out there by the Daily Mass Chapel. My joy. I'm not here, as I said, without God's plan. And remember Romans 8, 18. The pain that you've been feeling can't compare to the joy that is coming. It's coming. I'm proof of that. Maybe a week, maybe 40 years. Suffering has joy that follows it because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're so grateful. And I love talking about this with men of God like yourselves. Just remember to trust him. Trust him. Trust him with who all that you are. Because he will bring joy to your life. And there is a plan. I thank you. I wish all of you a Merry Christmas. And God bless you all. Thank you for listening to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Homily Podcast. We are Christian Disciples in Mission, 